Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the China Shop. I'm your host, Kyle, and joining me today is Eric from ES Invests as is tradition. You are listening to our midweek update, where we look at key news stories, discuss trade ideas, or just shoot the shit, depending on whether or not anything interesting has happened. First, if you'd like to reach out with any suggestions, corrections, trade ideas, or shitty memes, you can do that via email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com, or you can join our free Discord server. A bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. Now that we got all the business stuff out of the way, let's uh, let's figure out what's going on today. Eric, how you doing? Hello. <laughs> You've been watching anything in the news? Anything uh, catching your eye? That's nothing to, that has nothing to do with the submersible. The submersible and the people underneath the water right now. Fuck me, that's the only thing I've been caring about too. Yeah, they've got till what 10 a.m. tomorrow to to get rescued. Well, I think there, I think there was a a new update earlier today. I noticed from the Coast Guard. So they said that they. Um, that they heard banging from the general I saw area. That. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Every in 30 minute intervals. Yep. But the problem is they don't have anything that can reach them. I think within, I don't know, it's like a thousand miles as of yesterday away. So it should get there, but it's going to be tight. Right. Yeah. What? There's like a, it's like a UK vessel or something that has a claw that can reach down to the floor and like grab stuff. Uh, and then I think the, the, um, maybe it was the Navy had a submersible, with the decompression chamber that they're trying to get out there too. Yeah. So it says the 22 foot submersible lost contact with its support ship in an hour and 48 minutes. And on board, there's a Brit, a Pakistani business family, two people from that Titanic expert CEO of ocean gate. Oh, the CEO is there too. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, anything market related going on that we should be paying attention to. I'm pretty sure that if you talk to enough traders, there's some sort of correlation between this submarine falling to the bottom of the ocean and the markets. Right. Man, could you imagine being in that fucking thing? Oh, fuck. Today's Wednesday. Four days without a working toilet. No toilet. Probably out of water soon, if not already, which that's kind of poetic that they're surrounded by water, but no water. Right. Uh I don't know the food situation, but not worried about that just yet. My, I mean, it's the air that they're going to run out yeah. of fucking oxygen. 
that that's got to be a terrible feeling knowing that every breath you're taking in is removing a breath I, from the I total capacity wonder if that's going the lord of the flies down there i'm gonna be, i really hope they find these people it's too small. i want to know the story i want to know the story that happens man wouldn't that be a hell of a fucking decision cycle to have to go through uh-huh because that's like the very stereotypical, you know, kill X number to save X number versus everybody dies. Right. Fuck. Oof. Man, I th there's going to be a movie about this thing when all's said and done. Man. All right, let's move on before we just waste the whole time talking about this. Uh, there was a story that we talked about on Friday. Uh, Dan and I covered. Um, Did you know that if it's. If the lack of oxygen doesn't get them, it's going to be hypothermia, they said. A bitch. <laughs> uh, right, they run out of um, electricity? Yeah, it says, it says if a lack of oxygen doesn't get them, what's going to get them is going to be hypothermia. Well, if, it's any, is, if they have any of the same equipment that the subs have, we had some like candles almost that you burn that release oxygen. That if anything right. ever happened to our oxygen generation equipment, that we could light those things off. Right. But yeah, yeah I wonder, you need that's actually a good too. point. But I mean, that could also add a little bit of heat. But hypothermia, I imagine you could, with enough people, you could probably gather a bit of warmth. And just, yeah, all you're doing is getting closer then, though. Right, and then not really moving. Wow. The voyage costs $250,000. That is interesting to me, because that was about the same price that Richard Branson was charging for his five minutes of thrill at the uh, hmm. edge of the atmosphere. And I got to say, yeah, I but, think that's much better value to go see the Titanic than to, to just go to the edge of space. Completely agree. And I think, but I mean, you also have to remember, like for uber rich people, none of it matters. Yeah. It's all, it's all just fucking monopoly money. Right. Two and a half miles down. God damn, that is, that is ridiculous. Yeah, that's something. Okay, now I'm prepared to move on whenever you would like to. But okay, yeah, that, right. that hypothermia comment actually surprised me. I, I wouldn't, that wouldn't have been my guess. Well, when I did my sub qualifications, um, I had to stop a simulated leak um, yep. in a pipe. And doing that, like, was ocean water, basically. And we we're in the yep. Northwest Pacific. So I think I got lucky. Mine was warm at 55 degrees, but fuck me, that's cold. <laughs> yep. They're probably dealing with like 30s. I did that when I was in uh, ROTC. Oh yeah. yeah oh, did you we, go in the did. room? Did you go in the the room yeah. that floods with water? Yeah. That thing is cool, yeah. isn't it? Dude, super fun. Absolutely fun. Yeah. yeah, I got to do that once. Okay, now we can move on. Yes. We can. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I, before we started here, I sent you a, a story about uh, Greystone or not Greystone BlackRock is looking yeah. at uh, our filing for a Bitcoin ETF. And one of our uh, Discord members here was asking about the crypto stocks um, like Coinbase, uh, like the different exchanges, Hut, Riot, wanting to know, uh, I think his idea was that BlackRock being a positive catalyst for Bitcoin and with the names have been going sideways for so long, he's seeing this as a positive for, for the space in general. Kind of curious. Um, I don't know how much you follow crypto. Uh, I've been a little bit still skittish of crypto in general just because it seems like the sec is on a bit of a mission yeah i think the the way i think about crypto is it's just it's still a long it's still a long play like long term but i'm mm -hmm. also i'm also still bullish in bitcoin at least until broader circumstances change which hopefully they don't go that direction but you know i acknowledge it could 
But yeah, I think uh, I think it's the hypothesis of your your listener is like that's exactly right. Like that's the exact right way to think about these kinds mm-hmm. of things because you have to view just about any any aspect of progression of mainstream Bitcoin adoption is bullish. Yeah. I don't think that it would solve the problems for a lot of these companies. I actually had a ratio called diagonal on in hut that uh, it was a full loss. Like I, I think it was a $15,000 trade and I lost all of it Oh wow! over the life cycle. Well, it's, it was also cryptocurrency, right? So I, I yeah. knew the overwhelming likelihood on how that trade was going to go. It was sized very carefully for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the point being is I don't think, you know, BlackRock starting an ETF, even if they chose to include something like HUT, which they're going to struggle to do that logically, but there are some bigger players that I do think would make sense to include in some sort of ETF. So one of the issues I think they're going to have is getting a reasonable distribution of semi-stable companies into... Okay, well, that's interesting. Then when you say, um, when we're thinking of an ETF, you think they're going to be grabbing a bunch of different stocks to hold as opposed to just holding the cryptocurrency itself? Um, I haven't looked at the way that they're talking about structuring it, so I could be speaking out of turn. But my mm-hmm. my guess point, uh, let me see. BlackRock is requesting the SEC's approval for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Okay, so yeah, I, I'm completely off base. They're not looking at, this isn't like a, a gold miners style ETF. This is something that he's right. trying to track the spot price of and then coinbase would be a custodial partner in this yeah so, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. But isn't isn't is coinbase the one that's in trouble right now with the sec or is that a different one that i'm thinking of i i honestly think um well i i don't know about coinbase i know the the was it finance company yeah yeah just got in a lot of trouble exactly so that dude's in trouble um they're thinking for essentially torpedoing the other company but yeah, I don't know if Coinbase is in <laughs> trouble right now. Who the fuck knows, man? It's all Coinbase may not be. Uh, yeah, as we talk about it, it's like straight up just the Wild West. I know, I know, <laughs> and I think that's what scared a lot of people off from it. But I mean, I don't know. BlackRock getting involved in Bitcoin could be the thing that helps stabilize, or at least the start of that, right? Because BlackRock is huge. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm looking through the filing right now, and the um the actual filing and there's some really really interesting sections like if you go to page 24 of the filing there's conversation about like a hard fork in the bitcoin network and essentially how blackrock will behave in those instances it's i think the way i look at something like this is this is at least the structure as i'm seeing it i don't really see that this is gonna offset risk like if you wanted to hold a cryptocurrency you're probably better off just holding spot oh really yeah i don't see i don't see it's like the same thing like if you wanted to hold dollars would you buy a dollar etf or would you buy dollars yeah fair enough like i i don't see the real benefit here at least as of right now the especially because bitcoin has so much volatility in it i'm sure that their expenses are probably going to be pretty meaningful I think this does open the door, though, to other cryptocurrency, kind of like the the structure I was talking about before, mm-hmm. where they hold mining companies and cryptocurrency companies. I, I do think that there's an argument for that. Mm-hmm. But 
I just think right now it's too early. I mean, even if you look over the last two years, Coinbase has fallen from 368.90 to a low of 31.55. Right. It's within two years. So that kind of volatility is just massive. Still putting in lower highs. Um, I mean, on the, the yep. one hand, at least it looks like it's in a good range and it's kind of compressing. So, I mean, that's at least it's not falling anymore. Yeah. I mean, you can only lose so much value. So, yeah, I suppose. Right. Uh, so I guess if if that was if this ETF is your sole reason, then the only one who really stands to benefit substantially would be Coinbase, right? Mm-hmm. Because they'd be the custodians of uh, of the uh, the actual holdings. I think that's accurate, and I I also still think it would be bullish for Bitcoin in general, like we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Like yeah yeah like, yeah for the actual asset exactly yeah. Bitcoin outright yep. And I think we've actually been seeing that, but okay. So let's say that uh, for some reason you did want to just stick with uh, Coinbase, maybe because you want to be able to trade options or or something. Like, what would the trade be there? Uh, for me, it's too early. There would be no trade mm-hmm. as of yet, um, and that's not really. What do you need to see then? Yeah, exactly. That's not designed to be a cop out. It's I would need to see the progress of the filing, actually. Okay. Because this isn't going to immediately get approved. So I would want to see how that discussion goes. And then otherwise, just from a more strategic standpoint, or I guess tactical standpoint, Coin has earnings coming up in Mm -hmm. August, on 8 August. So that would also be part of my calculus. Like, do I want to hold through earnings or do I want to wait until we get through earnings? I would be not super concerned about earnings here because we are so range bound between... 31 and 80, which is a weird range to say, but that is kind of the recent range for the year. So yeah, I I think I would wait until one of two things, either the progress of the filing starts to look more promising or to decide whether or not I would want to enter before or after earnings. If I were to enter, I would just have pretty tight risk control. I see two Two kind of key areas. The one I would be most interested in for like a short-term directional assumption would mm-hmm. be something like 46.85 or 47, 48, maybe 48, 48 as like near-term support. But yeah. like right now, I, I just I wouldn't be bullish in the meantime. So the only thing I would be attempting to play would be the positive movement after that filing goes through. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't want to enter and hold something I'm not bullish in waiting for that event unless it looked like it was more likely to to go through and be approved and not have a bunch of hang up. That's my guess. So the short answer is I would wait until I see the filing making better progress. And then when that happens, I would look to structure a trade around it and it would be influenced by where we're at around that earnings. All right. No, that makes perfect sense. I like that answer. Yeah. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen. And I'm pleased to announce that she's back fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. 
Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, S-P-U-L-L-E-N at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. If I remember, uh, you think you left us with some homework last week? Yeah, what was it? Uh, you wanted to know about what you should do with your... Uh, 700 shares of IWM that uh, were uh, cover calls that you had on them. Correct. You had seven 16 June 182 calls that you were short and you were long 700 shares, cost basis of 182. Yep. And you did not care what happened to these stocks. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was kind of curious what you did with it. My instinct was to let them expire and then try to just sell more calls later at a near-term support, which I had mapped out, but I don't have that chart in front of me. It was at my upstairs. You mean sell more puts? Uh, yes. Yes. Sorry. Yes, you're right. You yeah. said sell more yeah, calls. Sell more puts. Yeah, okay. Um, and how did you arrive at that answer? Well, when I looked at the cost to roll versus, because they're so deep in the money, I mean, at the time they were trading around 188, 186 in that range, the, the difference in the premium that you get from rolling versus just letting it go and selling puts, I think you'd actually, because that was one of the things you said, you wanted to maximize your earning potential. Exactly. And it looked like it was an extra 10 cents a share or a contract that you could get by letting it expire and just opening up a new short put position. Yep. Yeah, that's in that that's the exact correct analysis. So what in that kind of scenario, what I like to do is exactly that. See how far in the money I am, see what roles are available to me, see how mm -hmm. much like how much money, what kind of credit I would receive for those roles, and then just make a business decision based on how much money do I get there versus how much money do I get somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So and the other thing to kind of layer on top of that is from a technical standpoint, I do believe that IWM has rallied yeah. pretty hard. And I fully anticipate it to kind of come back down a bit and start basing if it holds here, which it, it already isn't. Like one of the near-term ranges I had established for it was like 185 to 188 and a half. Yep. And it's already fallen yep. below that 185. So, and I, yeah. I fully anticipated so that. So... That was exactly my other thought was like, let it go there, get your, get out at your 182 and then try to sell uh, more puts down, you know, in that lower distribution or the bottom end of this range that we've been bouncing around in. Yeah. So, and that's exactly what I did. So I let those all get called away. I flattened out and then I offered more risk um, yesterday at the 181 short puts collecting $1.20 and those are out in three July. That's exactly what I did. And then where's your, that's interesting that that's your, your spot. So that's basically the three day little uh, pause before the, the push up into the one, the high one eighties. Looks like it's about the start of that. Wait, what do you mean? What? Uh, I'm just trying to see how you came up with a 181 uh, strike. Why was oh. that the area you picked? Oh, that, that's literally just based on Delta and Theta Decay. It doesn't matter to me where oh, okay. it is on the chart. Yeah, that's okay. Especially with, and that's a great question, actually. When I'm not trying to sell short puts around a perceived level of support in the coverage triangle, at least at the initial onset, because I, I genuinely uh, don't care. Like if these get assigned or don't, it is incon. Like I, I don't care at all. So mm -hmm. these, these are just essentially just bait out floating in the water. 
but because of where we were at, I offered a very small size. So out of yes. the initial allocation I gave to the trade, because I perceived us at near-term highs, expecting at least some kind of pullback here, I offered a smaller initial outlay, which is why I don't care. If these get assigned or they don't, it's, it's all inconsequential. And then what I'll do is as I add more short puts, I start to care more about where I put mm -hmm. them, what it does to my basis, how do uh, I feel about the propensity sense. to take in more inventory in addition, that kind of stuff. Because one other note on this is when, let's say I have you know 500 shares at 180, and I want to, and let's just say that's 20% of my total allocation for, or the in, initial, that's 20% of the total allocation for the initial is 20%. Mm -hmm. And so I have 80% capital left to, to use. Mm -hmm. Every time I add more to the trade, my ability to meaningfully adjust the basis changes. Yeah. The more money you put into the trade, the more money you have to put in to make the same level of adjustment. Right. So when I first put the trade out, I don't really care that much. But as I start to scale, I care a lot more mm -hmm. because there are silver bullets that you're using each time. That's interesting. And this, to be clear, this essentially only applies to the coverage triangle with IWM because I am very much against adding to losing trades. There's two strategies I will do that to. One is this. One of them is the ratio called diagonal mm -hmm. sometimes, not always, sometimes. Right. Um, so yeah, I just think it's an important call out there. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's really interesting too, that this is the strategy that you utilize that because when I was trying to play around with like the cover calls and, uh, the wheel, which is kind of what this is, but it's just a more nuanced version of that. I think, right. More detailed and better, I would call it actually. Uh, that was the part yeah, I was missing it, was that the keeping some capital in reserve so you could, so you can get, uh, you could adjust that cost basis and it has to be a stock like you said uh, that you want to hold for a long time yes like i wouldn't be doing that with amc <laughs> yep i agree with that all right well fucking fascinating um what uh what do you got for us for next week who fucking knows <laughs> no idea i just released a video actually on um like a simplified version of the coverage strangle exactly what we're talking now. Oh, yeah. Give um, me that. I'll, I'll link that. Yeah. yeah. And then I don't really know what's on the docket for next week yet. There's some interesting positions starting to come into vogue next week. So we have um, earnings for Carnival Cruise Lines, for Walgreens, for Paychecks, for Nike. So there are some earnings coming in that I am going to begin eyeballing next week. There's also Micron, General Mills. I like trading earnings and all of those. Mm -hmm. so. Ooh, is there some homework I should do to, to learn more about how volatility works in the lead up to earnings and after? I think a good piece of homework for you would be to take a look at earnings next week and create a paper trade in whichever one that you want. It's not limited to just the earnings play, though. So you can trade, like you're talking about, the expansion into earnings and then post-earnings, whatever you think you would want to do. Okay. Do you have any good resources on uh, learning more about those, uh, how that volatility works uh, in the lead-up into earnings? I'm guessing you have a video on that, right? 
Yeah, I'm I'm nearly positive. I just have to think about because uh, I have a video called Trading Earnings with Options. I don't know if it's out yet. Nope, not out yet. Ah, shit. Okay, well. But I do have a video on short straddle. I, I have two videos for you that'll still hit it. Okay. I talk about the same fucking broken record. So <laughs> one of them is like an actual earnings play that um, like a couple actual earnings plays that I had on. So it'll give you some ideas. And then the second video mm -hmm. walks through essentially five of my go-to strategies and what conditions I trade them in and how. So that will also go into it. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So those two will All be right, kind perfect. of a peripheral version until that other video comes out, but that doesn't come out until next month. Ah, dang it. All right. Okay. Well, it sounds good. All right. So look at earnings for next week, create some paper trades. Uh, we've got some resources in the episode description that'll be available if anybody wants to follow along, but I think that's going to take us to the end today. I'd like to say thank you to everybody who stuck around to the end and especially to Eric for, for hanging out, uh, even though he kind of derailed. Yeah, man. Thank me. Even though you derailed the beginning a little bit. But that's I didn't okay. derail. I stayed on the poignant topic. Oh, I guess. Oh, you just kept me from turning. Right. <laughs> you just kept grabbing the wheel. Yeah, you were trying to run <laughs> off topic, but I am. I, I was on the correct topic. Fair enough. Well, if you'd like to know more about Eric and how he trades, make sure you check out that YouTube channel at ES Invest. You can check us out at twobullsinachinashop.com. Be back soon with another exciting episode. But till then, slap that five-star rating like you're firing a and take care. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.